You're listening to the Writing Momentum Podcast with authors Christopher and Gina Mazzelli, where you'll discover more about writing, publishing, building your author brand, and selling your book. Now, here's your hosts, Chris and Gina. Hello, and welcome to the Writing Momentum Podcast. This is Christopher Maselli, and I'm here with my wife, Gina Maselli. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, this is this has been really fun to do this podcast, and today we have something extra special because we decided we were going to put out there just to, uh, uh, kind of a ask anyone if they want to ask us anything. And so this is the Ask Us Anything episode of Writing Momentum's podcast, and so we have four questions that we've picked out, and we're just going to ask ask these off the top of our heads. We have not prepared anything. We are just going to uh, have them come up and see what we come up with. So, Well, and Chris, where did you get these questions from? Yeah, these are all from Twitter. Uh, so these are things that people have actually asked on Twitter. We don't know who any of these people are, and so uh, hopefully they don't mind us asking, but you know, Twitter's a public thing, so why not, right? <laughs> all right. So the first one comes from at Connie W. Steele, and she says, uh, writing community with websites for your self-published books, what are your most important aspects to include? So I think she's saying if you're a self-published author and you're putting your books out there, what should you include on your website? Now, this is actually um, kind of funny that she asked this because I think we actually answered a lot of this on episode, what was it, three, where we had the best components of an awesome author website. And uh, some of those things are you want to include your homepage, right? Because you have to have just kind of an introduction to yourself. You want to have your voice in that. Then you want to have about the author. You want to have about your book or about your series, however you're putting it together. Then you want to have a contact page. And most importantly, do not forget this. It's not the blog. The blog's fine if you want to do it. But the most important thing is a lead magnet. Do you remember what a lead magnet is, Gina? I do. A lead magnet is a short piece of content that people can use and that they are willing to exchange their email for receiving that content. So it could be a list of top if you're writing a fiction book on uh, that takes place in a particular place, maybe it's it takes place in New Orleans, you could mm-hmm. have something like the top 10 places you don't want to miss in New Orleans or... Yeah, if your readership just loves New Orleans and that's what your book's about, that's a that's mm-hmm. a good one. Or it might be a short novella that you offer. And we emphasize short, don't put a whole 200-page ebook out there or they're going to be busy reading that instead of buying your actual book, right? So you want to just put a short novella. It is not chapter one of your book. You don't want to put that out there because no one wants an incomplete product. Well, and if you're doing a book, say, on a nonfiction book, maybe you're writing a nonfiction book on how to find more joy in your life, maybe you could give people simple tips for finding more joy or putting more joy in their relationships or something that ties into your book that your readership would be interested in and that they would be willing to give you their email. Now, why is the email so important, Chris? Well, because that's that's what you end up, that, that's your audience. Those are the people you're really speaking to, that you're able to speak into their lives because you can't really develop a relationship with someone uh, that's really deep 
in a short period of time over something like social media or through just putting your books out there and hoping, because that's kind of a one-way thing. You want to have a two-way uh, relationship, right, where you can speak back and forth. And the, the best way to do that is through email, where you're um, putting something in their inbox once a week and they can respond to it, that sort of thing. If you subscribe to our email list, you'll kind of get an example of how we do that. Um, for our lead magnet, if you go to writingmomentum.com slash get noticed, you'll see that you can download a PDF of how on how to get noticed by agents, editors, and readers. And we developed that because that's the biggest question that we get. And so we thought, well, let's go ahead and put something like that out there because that's a way that people can receive value from us that's really valuable, but also um, get on our email list, right? Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, if you're looking at doing more books in the future, of writing more books in the future, then you can, you have a built-in audience. Your email list will become so very valuable to you. And you can then let those people know, hey, I've got a new book coming out. And so you will automatically have uh, sales through that. You'll be able to to, uh, probably find some interested beta readers if you're looking for some beta readers to read your book before you publish it that can give you some feedback on maybe some holes that you've got in the book or something that needs to be explained better. So those kind of things, that becomes a tool that you can use. That email list becomes a tool that will be so very valuable to yeah, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Gina, what's our second question? Our second question is, from. let's see, it's from Kay Riley Author. K. Riley, author on Twitter. Yes. Anyone begins sentences in their novel with and or because, sometimes I want to rebel and do just that. Yeah. <laughs> so she's saying, does anyone begin their sentences in the novel with and or because? Because uh, she wants to rebel and do just that. She wants to rebel. So is that rebellious, do you think? I would say I don't do it often, but I do do it occasionally. Yeah. And now I would say... Absolutely, I do it all the time. I love that because I think that it's it's the kind of thing that can really produce, for lack of another word, momentum in your book, right? If you're wanting to make things clip along at a good pace, you can sometimes end the previous sentence a little shorter and start the next sentence with a capital and. It's something you see a lot in marketing writing, and we use it a lot when we write marketing materials mm -hmm. uh, because it's very popular for that. But you'll also find it in novels that move along at a very brisk pace. So you read a James Patterson novel. He'll do a lot of. He'll do that a lot, right? He'll start sentences with "and" because it, it just as a way to keep keep you propelled along from sentence to sentence, from paragraph to paragraph, because it it's just kind of compelling, right? I think that definitely is something that you see in fiction writing, yes, more yeah. than even in nonfiction writing. But I because you're you are building momentum as you're taking people through scenes or you're taking them through dialogue, and that's really the way people talk. Yeah, yeah. people talk that, and you want that that level of authenticity in your book. But in a nonfiction piece, I will use it, especially if I have a really long sentence. Yeah. I will break that up. And I will also use it in my first draft. And then I can always come back and edit it out. And I can try to work with my sentences to try to still get that flow without having that and or but or so right there at the beginning. But, you know, sometimes you just go with it. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I, I get what Kay is say, saying here that, you know, I want to rebel because it is kind of rebellious against the general laws of grammar, right? Your, your English teacher may not like you doing that. So if you're a student, probably wouldn't do that. But really writing is more than anything about communication. 
And in today's world, when people are reading fiction and they want to be taken on a roller coaster ride, that's one way you produce a roller coaster. That's the way you produce those quick ups and downs, right? If you're writing a nonfiction novel and you just want to make sure you're getting that point across, sometimes you have to start sentences with things like and or because, because that makes a difference. Well, and I will also say, keep in mind who your readers are. If you are writing to an older generation, you may not want to do that. But if you are writing to the younger generation or to just the, you know, 30-something, 40-something individual, they will not care. If you are writing to my grandmother, I would say, don't start your sentences with and, but, or so, and don't end your sentences with a preposition. Right. All right. So it, know, it does hold to those, job. hold to those older uh, grammatical rules that are correct, but you know what? Language is evolving. And so don't be, don't just get stuck just because you don't want to break that rule. Yeah. So that, that, that that's good. All right. Good question. Uh, okay, so the next one is, uh, actually it's a two-parter, so the, uh, a person is asking a question in response to another tweet. So let me read the first tweet. This is from Gabby Wright, which is at Who Cares Gabby, and she says, I was told that a fantasy book above 120,000 words gets an automatic rejection from most agents. Mine is 132,000 words. I thought it's hopeless, but I sat down yesterday, went through 10,000 or so, and removed about 900 words. I guess I'm doing this, she says. And then that's responded to by Ricky uh, Aberly, at Aberly Ricky, and he says, is this a thing? Can future submissions be rejected due to word count? How can I find out what sort of word count I should be working with? Okay, so I have I have a couple thoughts here. This you, is you a great this is a great question because yeah. first of all, I, I do need to say there is such a thing as average word length in books yes. depending on genre. So please look at that. I believe we even did a blog post about this earlier. Uh, we'll talk probably, about this on a future Yeah, we'll talk about it future. But there is a difference between different genres and word counts, especially even breaking those. It is not just, oh, nonfiction books are this much and fiction books are this much. No, even within nonfiction, that genre or those genres get broken down and there are uh, specific links that publishers are looking for. So I I just want to put that out there. If you don't know that there are word counts, please look those up. Check out our website. We've got some on there. Yeah, and so... So let's t- let's take this in parts. So first, Gabby has said, I was told that a fantasy book above 120,000 words gets an automatic rejection from most agents. Um, I would say, first of all, that is not true. They are, when you put your word count in your proposal or in your letter, that shows them that you are aware of what the word count should be around. But if it's written really well, they are not going to reject it just because of word count. Because think think about Harry Potter. This book was way above the standard word count, right? But it was accepted because it was written so well. So the fact that uh, Gabby's was 132,000, I wouldn't sweat that at all. That's not even, I don't even think that's, uh, well, it's just about 10% over. I think that's totally fine. Just use word count as a guide. 
However, Gabby went on to say she went through about 10,000 characters or 10,000 words and removed 1,000. Look, if you can remove 1,000 words that easily, then they probably didn't need to be in there in the first place. So in that case, I'd say... Uh, Congrats on editing yourself like that because um, then you are closer to target count and they probably weren't necessary. Um, what do you think, Gina? I think you're absolutely right there. That tells me that she probably needed to go through it one more time and, and have it edited. I would also say a lot of times when they are looking at word counts, you have to look at this from a publisher's point of view. They are Ask, they are looking at word counts because in their mind, they're doing the math of how much that book is going to right. cost right. to be printed. So they're looking at how many pages it's going to require, and there are different signatures that they are going to use, and they are going to be breaking off. And if they go above a certain uh, page count, it increases the, the number of pages, and which increases the signatures of the page, and that means more money for them. Yeah. So that is what's going on here. And and I will say that this is for traditional publishing. If you are looking at uh, independent publishing, you can put it at whatever you want. But I would be aware of those common word counts because that's also what readers are used to reading. If your reader is used to reading 120,000 word book, and you produce a book that is 200,000 words, it, there better be a reason that it's that far above because your readers may be questioning, that is such a big book, what in the world? Yeah, and it needs to deliver. Yeah. And I think a really good example of this is picture books. Um, so many picture books that we have seen that people have uh, floated by us, they have been either way under or way over 32 pages. Uh, and that's talking about when you lay out the, the text on the pages, like if you create a dummy copy, it would be way too much or way too little. And picture books are something that are very costly for, for editors. And so they are looking for people who understand that picture books should be should fit on a 32-page layout. And if yours doesn't, then that is, that is a reason that you could get rejected right away. So anytime I write a picture book, I make sure it can be laid out within 32 pages easily because that's really a key. Mm -hmm. And so, I think when you break that rule, uh, it tells the publishers also, especially in picture book, it tells the publisher that they're not dealing with a professional, yeah. that they're dealing with someone who is still learning the ropes. Yeah. So so the, the final part of Ricky's uh, question was, how can I find out what sort of word count I should be working with? Well, look, there's a lot of blog posts out there that'll help you find out. That just do a, a quick Google search. We'll do a future episode on this and just kind of break that down. Um but definitely, more than anything, find other books in the genre of what you're writing and just kind of uh, use those as a general rule, right? Okay. Do you italicize the main character's internal dialogue? Google says no, but most popular romance books in first-person point of view that I've read does it. Is it because readers prefer it? Which is correct. And this comes from J.M. Buckley. At yeah. J.M. Buckley. At J.M. Buckley. Yeah. So uh, the question is, do you italicize the main character's internal d dialogue? Because Google says no. So my first answer would be Google doesn't know. Google doesn't read books. <laughs> I've seen it both ways. Uh, I will if it's very pointed dialogue that is within. If it's just a passing observation that I know is from the point of view of the main character, I won't. But if it is a pointed 
statement that is running through the person's mind, then I will. It's the main character's internal dialogue. Yeah, it, to me, absolutely. Anytime I have a character, when they speak, you put it in quotes. When they think, you put it in italics. And that separates it from what you as the author are writing about the scenes. I Again, I think this just goes back to communication. If someone is reading your book and you were to put both the internal and external dialogue in quotes, people are going to think the person is saying something, right? Or if you don't put it in italics or quotes, they're going to think you as the author are imposing that upon the character. So in order to just make sure that you know it's the character thinking it, italics totally work. Just think of it in terms of communication. Well, and I would say, you know, several of these questions that we've had here have, people have responded with blanket statements. And I, you know, the person says that Google says no, or that words get, or a book of a certain length gets you know, thrown in the slush pile. I would say, be careful of blanket statements. I mean, yes, if you're breaking uh, grammar rules, you might be questioning it, but there's always exceptions. Yeah, yeah. There's well, always exceptions. You do have to know the rules before you can break them. But definitely learn the rules before you break them. Okay, well, this has been fun. I enjoy doing the Q&As just off the spot. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, uh, we're going to ask you if you have any other questions, go ahead and send them to us. Go to writingmomentum.com slash podcast, throw a question in the comments, or uh, hit us up on Twitter at Writing Momentum, and we will do our best to answer those. Uh, until next time, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you you don't miss an episode. Gina and I uh, just uh, love uh, being on here and talking about writing, and we hope you're enjoying it too. Until next time, may your writing have momentum. You've been listening to the Writing Momentum Podcast with authors Christopher and Gina Maselli. Don't forget to subscribe and get the show notes at writingmomentum.com backslash podcast. Until next time, we hope that you have writing momentum. Hey, writer. One of the questions we get asked most often is, how do I get an editor or an agent to pay attention to my manuscript? Or sometimes, how do I get readers to buy my book? And that's why we put together a free PDF called How to Get Noticed by Agents, Editors, and Readers. Inside, you'll find 10 quick tips that are really strong to help give you the edge you need. If that sounds like something you'd like, download the free PDF at writingmomentum.com slash getnoticed. That's writingmomentum.com slash getnoticed and give your writing momentum.